Welcome to China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. China is a country which likes to set ambitious targets for the future, yet it's also constantly examining its past. Its leader, Xi Jinping, often visits museums, and his speeches are full of analogies from history. His books, such as The Governance of China, reveal that he views history as a guide for the way that China should be run today. One of the themes which is central to the museums, speeches, and books is China's so-called century of humiliation. And I'm delighted that this week on the China in Context podcast, we're joined by a historian who's ideally placed to explain this concept to us. Dr. Andrea Janku is a senior lecturer in the history of China at SOAS University of London. Dr. Janku, welcome to the podcast. Let's talk about this idea of the century of humiliation. Can you explain to us when it was and tell us some of the events which took place during that period? Thank you, Duncan, and thank you for the invitation to, to be part of this podcast. Um, it ended with the founding of the PRC, with the beginning of, of communist rule, um, which followed Japan's defeat in the Second Sino-Japanese War and um, the communist um, victory over the nationalists. So if you count back 100 years from there, uh, you, you get into the um, 1840s. So that is the starting point of what is today presented as China's century of humiliation, uh, which is obviously the, the Opium Wars. Um, and then it goes through all the history of further um, defeats um, by imperialist powers, ending in what has been since the early 20th century described as unequal treaties. So that, that is the period um, that, that we're looking at. So to put it very simply then, does it stretch from the 1840s, the Opium Wars, to the 1940s, the time when China or parts of China were invaded by Japanese imperialist forces? That's exactly it. So, for example, um, I wasn't actually aware of a century of China's humiliation when I started studying China in, in the 1980s, late 1980s. But I, I thought it was interesting that you could hardly escape it when you went to China in the 1990s, just, just going to bookshops, for example, which were full of um, publications. There was a flurry of publications um, with um, something with um, China's history of humiliations, 100 years of humiliations in the title. It's interesting in this context that this hasn't been emphasized a lot before that, even the history of Japan. I mean, today, Japan often appears as, as the major culprit, so to speak, in, in especially the 20th century of China's humiliation, but this only has become a very prominent and publicly visible top topic um, after the 1980s, really, 1990s. Uh, for example, um, just, just to give an example, the, the memorial to the rape of Nanjing has only been established in 1985. And before that, that there was more silence really uh, about this. So, so that there is a, a conscious effort, I would say, uh, to inculcate that kind of patriotism and, um, and create that allegiance uh, to the regime. Let's talk about that word humiliation. Uh, what's the actual word in Mandarin? And can you explain to us how it might be understood by a Chinese person? So the word is um, chi or chiru. I'm losing face would be um, the more common word in, in the Chinese context to, 
it's actually quite an old concept in Chinese history that's linked to it is, is um, um, the combination with uh, which literally means wiping away humiliation. And it's understood, I think, in terms of wiping away um, the blemish of having been humiliated by some, somebody else. Um, and that term has a very long history. You, you'll find it in the literature at, at certain uh, points in, in history. So, for example, in the context, um, very important for kind of a long-term history of the national psyche of, of the uh, Song dynasty, when in the 12th century, China lost the north to the so-called northern barbarians. Um, so, so that's a context where, where this comes up. Um, but it also goes back to a much earlier history um, in the Warring States period. There has been uh, this story of a um, king called Gojian of the state of Yue. Um, so that's, um, we're talking about uh, 2,500 years ago, who lost in battle to um, the king of Wu and um, spent basically um, uh, 20 years um, in, as a prisoner um, of that um, king of, of this rival state. And after he had managed uh, to get back home, he kind of swore to himself that he would never rest until he had got his revenge and had restored his prestige and, and his face, basically. Well, when you tell us of that ancient story from 2,500 years ago, it reminds me a bit of the way in which stories from the Old Testament in the Bible are still seen as having great relevance to contemporary society. The enslavement of the ancient Israelites in Babylon is a, is a metaphor that lots of people have returned to over the centuries. It also strikes me that you used a very important word when you were telling that story. You said that the king wanted revenge. Now, is there an element of revenge to the contemporary way in which the century of humiliation is being used? I guess it depends again on who you're talking to. And obviously there are always people who, who, ha who are more militant in, in their thinking and you would have found the similar thing in the 19th century where you had groups among the Chinese elite who very fiercely demanded the Qing government to be less reconciliating towards imperialist powers. But you also have a lot of other voices um, uh, that um, think more in terms of, of reason. If you go back to, to this term of wiping away the blemish of national humiliation. Um, so that term actually maybe that I, I didn't mention this earlier is shua. Shua literally means snow. So something white and pure and clean. So you want to get rid of this blemish. So it's, I think the emphasis is really more to restore a certain status and prestige rather than taking revenge in the sense of being aggressive and, and trying to, to conquer in, in, in a probably military context. So that's, I, I don't think that's necessarily implied, but, but there is a very strong emphasis on gaining respect. I think that's a very important aspect um, and restoring prestige. Okay, well, there's obviously a debate about what kind of response is appropriate, whether it should be revenge, and if so, whether that should be some sort of military revenge. But I still get the impression that a lot of people from China think that their country deserves to take up its rightful place in the world now that the humiliation is over. That's an idea, obviously, which uh, depends on a certain interpretation of history. What's your view? Do you think in the past, and we're talking a few hundred years ago, 
that China did have more status internationally. It was held in more respect. Is that a valid concept from the point of view of history? I'd say absolutely, yes. I mean, um, China has been the dominating power uh, for for a long time in history. I mean, with interruptions, but but certainly, yeah, from, from the early modern period, you have the, the Ming Empire, which, which was a very powerful empire, um, and then defeated by um, the, the Manchu Qing, sorry, a northeastern people um, in, in the region, who had built up a massive empire that dominated a large part of Eurasia for over 200 years. Um, so there are kind of debates in the historiography, when did the, the, this kind of so-called story of decline of the Qing Empire start? Um, and, um, um, and there has been I mean, obviously, it's kind of linked to the rise of, of the West, of the capitalist, industrializing West, um, the impact of which was felt from the early decades, slowly increasing of, of the 19th century. So this is all kind of talking in terms of um, economic power and, and then increasingly military power. So to finish up then, when new students arrive to study Chinese history at SOAS and they come across this idea of the century of humiliation, from your perspective, what do you think is the most important thing for them to consider about it? That's the history that the Chinese government wants to promote and emphasize. So that's the history that they want you not to forget um, and to remember. But what is it that they want you to forget about? What is it that is being brushed over? Um, so I, I think that's the things that I, that I would pay attention to. So why does it start after 89? Um, when you have a generation there that was hugely enthusiastic about the potential of reforms in that period that was looking forward to to have a greater say um, in Chinese society and maybe even politics being kind of clamped down upon in 89. It's interesting that that this discourse emerges in this period so you have to forget about certain things and emphasize other things that make sure that everybody stands behind um, the, the current um, government, basically. I think that's probably the one of the important issues. So going back, obviously, I would want to go back further into history um, and see what the other histories are um, that have been neglected because um, of the kind of guided emphasis on basically on, on, on things that were brought to China from outside, even though they were important to obviously the, the, the history of Japanese imperialism uh, in early 20th century is incredibly painful and, and actually needs to be talked about more too. But it's not the only history. And there are a lot of other things that happened internally. I mean, basically, this imbalance of power and inequalities that you find between, um, say, China in the early 20th century um, and the, um, the capitalist um, imperialist West, if you want, was to some extent replicated within China, where you have a relatively rich and advanced, almost Western looking in some ways, um, uh, Eastern kind of coastal cities, and a, a very much neglected, um, impoverished interior where, where people were starving, not, not only during that massive famine in the 1870s, but where you had a, a massive extend kind of um, degree of malnutrition and poverty even at, at normal times 
there were massive inequalities within the countries and obviously these are things that, that one needs to look at. Well, thank you for those thought-provoking responses to this rather complex issue, actually, the century of humiliation. That was Dr. Andrea Janku, Senior Lecturer in Chinese History at SOAS University of London. And this podcast is produced by SOAS. You can find out more about what we do at the university on our website. That's soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here at the China in Context podcast team.